we're going to look uh, at the life of David today. We're going to kind of go back a little bit. Last week, for those of you who were here, we spoke about Abigail. Put your hand up if you were here last week. Quite a few of you heard the story of Abigail. Well, uh, you'll know that David met Abigail um, at a kind of a vulnerable time in his life. We saw that last week. Uh, Anne's laughing back there about the donkey. But um, uh, we're, we're going to look, and we're going to realise that Abigail actually wasn't his first wife. He had a wife before that. So we're going to go back and we're going to tell his story and kind of see how life can get complicated and how things were building in his life, negative things that were causing him to begin to doubt. So I'm going to do that this morning. And next week, I'm going to give my story. This is David's story. I know there's a whole lot more in the weeks to come as we go on with his story, but we're going to go back and look at his story to date. And uh, someone mentioned to me before Christmas that there's a few, quite a few of you here are new here and don't know my story and it was asked that I would give it. So I just sort of felt, we're giving David's story this week. Life can get complicated. And next week I'm going to give my story and I'm going to testify as well that life can get complicated. And uh, I, I believe that next week that God really wants to speak to us. And I would love you, woman, that you could really pray particularly. I know you pray for the work, but if you could really pray this week, that God would really move next week. And if you could really think about who you might be able to bring, who maybe doesn't know the Lord as their saviour. Or maybe someone in your family or your friends who's going through a difficult time, a complicated time. I'd just love you if you could bring someone along next week and we'll all be praying this week that God would move and we might see salvation and might see people being set free and God really moving amongst us. So this is just not a case of telling, giving a testimony for the sake of it, but I'd really love that if we look at David's story and see what he went through, lots of things that, that happened to David, I, I identify in my own life. And I feel before we start uh, on the story, that as we think of Abigail and how she spoke words to David and, and how David ended up marrying her, you know, she was a woman who heard God. She was a woman that God knew all about her. And I think as we get prepare ourselves for, as I prepare my heart for next week, I've been very aware recently that God sees everything and knows everything. And that God is with me at all times. And we've been looking at that in the prayer room this morning. And last week I mentioned to you about the, the peacock. <laughs> and I just want to continue with this because uh, my cousin Judith, uh, at, over Christmas time, we kind of shared some of the characteristics of the peacock. You know, we tend to think a peacock's a proud bird. But actually, a peacock is actually a humble bird because the, the wings with the beauty and splendor of, you know, when it puts up the big feathers... All those eyes that come up and the colours, it's absolutely stunning. And yet the peacock for most of the time keeps that hidden at the back. So, you know, I love the fact that God's creation shows his glory. And I believe the peacock uh, really does display the glory of God. And those eyes on the peacock speak of how God sees us. All the time God sees you and he's longing that you would see him in everything. He's longing that you would have eyes to see what he sees. And this is what he wants to do in us. He wants to shift us from being blind to be able to see what God sees. And, and if we see the peacock putting up the feathers, my goodness, we're reminded that God can show us so much through his eyes. Now, Roberta Jess, is she here? Is Roberta here? Roberta put something up on, peac and I was going to say on peacock on Facebook. <laughs> and it was about a peacock over the, over the week. And it was a little video of a peacock flying. 
Well, I tell you, it's quite a beautiful sight to see. It's on my, it's on my Facebook. But uh, she put underneath it, magnificent bird. And I just thought, wow, that's what God wants us to be, magnificent. He wants you and he wants me to be a magnificent bird. That's pretty good, isn't it? And, and over Christ, the Christmas period, Judith and I went through some of the characteristics of the peacock. And they're quite amazing how they, how they actually um, lots in it for, the, for us who know Jesus. So I'm hoping to kind of share a little bit more about the peacock next week as well. But this morning, I was coming out this morning and half an hour before I came out, this came through the post from Judith. I was already wearing these clothes, so it matched the clothes. And I want to show you what's on it. And you see the peacock. That came this morning, literally as I was coming out the door. And I thought, wow, that has to be something that the Lord wants me to bring with me today. He wants me to bring this, this glory that he has created. He wants to show us that even through a peacock, God can speak to us. So isn't it amazing how it matches? So that was what happened this morning. So we're going to look at how life was getting complicated for David. And I'd love you to, we're, we're not, we're going to, in a moment or two, we're going to look at chapter 26 in First uh, Sam, Samuel 26. But I just want to kind of go back over and in your notes today, if you wanted to through the week, you could take some time and go through these different chapters that I have mentioned here and read about this stuff. It'll be a really good study for you to do. We haven't time to do it today, obviously, but it'll be a really good study for you to do because last week we looked at Abigail's predicament. We saw that she was in a really difficult marriage. We saw that she could easily have seen herself as a victim, but she didn't. She was a woman who knew that God saw her and knew that God heard her, and she was a godly woman. And we saw that last week, at the end of it all, we saw that David do you remember how the whole story went about Abigail, how David actually married her, and yet this wasn't his first wife. He had been married to uh, Michael, the daughter of Saul, and you can read that story in 1 Samuel 19, verses 12 to 17, how Michael had, um, had helped him to escape from her father whenever Saul wanted to kill him. And from the moment that she escaped, this thing's making a little noise, so sorry, I just can't adjust it. From the moment that she escaped, uh, that David escaped from Saul, uh, having to leave his wife behind him. Now imagine the pain of that. He was just newly married and having to leave his wife behind him. How he had to run. And if you remember, we've gone over this stuff. If you remember, he ran straight to Samuel who was his old, it was Samuel who had anointed him with oil to be king. He was a mentor and friend to David. And if you remember, we looked at how he, he ran to Samuel. And then from there, he ran on to Jonathan. You see that he was on the run, under pressure from Saul. And if you remember, when we, when we looked at the story of Jonathan, which you'll read about it in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel, you remember that, that he was desperate to find out if Saul had any change of heart. If there was any possibility that he could go back to his wife. But he discovered, do you remember, we, you can read it, where there was no hope. And he realised he was going to have to leave Jonathan, leave his wife, leave everything, leave the palace and run. Uh, and Saul was continuing to chase him. And from then on, it just seems there's just one more difficult experience after another. Did you ever feel in life that things just get so difficult, it's just like things seem to go from bad to worse? And that's the way it seemed to be for David. 
If you remember, even at one stage, he tried to get asylum from the Philistines. Remember how we looked at that and how when he got to, uh, to the Philistines, he discovered his life was in danger from them as well. And do you remember he had to pretend to be mad and had to escape and flee from there and found himself in the cave of Adullam. And if you remember, it was at the cave of Adullam that all this stream of men started to come out to the wilderness, out to this cave. All the, all the men, possibly with their families, who were coming, who were depressed, who were in debt, and who were discontented. And they all came to uh, be with David. And if you remember, following that, over the past few weeks, we looked at whilst David was living in a place called Hakila, and Aquila was near a place called Jezamon, we saw that Saul almost got him. Do you remember? David was on one side of the rock and Saul on the other, and only God intervened. He would have lost his life, David. Saul would have killed him. So you can see that he's living just constantly under this pressure that the enemy, that Saul is breathing down his neck and causing him problems. It's interesting that while he was living in Aquila, that Aquila, if you remember, we said that it means dark. And Jezamon, which was nearby, means waste or desolation. And we saw that sometimes when we feel that we're in a dark place in our lives, sometimes when we feel we're even in a, a place of like wasteland or desolation, that, that that is so often where in that place God helps us. And God rescued him. In fact, David actually called that place in the end. He said, it was my rock of escape. And so God can be with us in all of those dark places. And then we saw that, that uh, then after that, we saw that, that David had an opportunity to, to, to kill Saul. Remember, we looked at that just before Christmas. And yet he didn't give in to that temptation. And actually, we're going to read just a couple of verses uh, from there, from, from 1 Samuel 24, because when he spurred, uh, when he spurred Samuel's, uh, when he spurred Saul's life, Saul actually did repent, although he didn't actually change. He, he, he spoke out words of blessing over David, but nothing really changed with, with Saul. Isn't it sad whenever people speak words and it sounds as if maybe they're going to have a change of heart and get things sorted, but actually it doesn't mean anything at all. And at the end of 1 Samuel 24, whenever David uh, had seen, hadn't touched Saul and hadn't, hadn't harmed him, and Saul realised that, that David uh, had, had not killed him. It says in 1 Samuel 24, verse 16, when David had finished speaking, Saul called, Is that really you, my son David? Then Saul began to cry. And he said to David, You are a better man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been amazingly kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? Do you see the change of heart that Saul had? Then Saul went on to say, May the Lord reward you well for the kindness that you have shown me today. And Saul said, Now I realize that you are surely going to be king. And that the kingdom of Israel will flourish under your rule. Now Saul said, swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. So David promised this to Saul with an oath. 
Then Saul went home, but David and his men went back to their stronghold. Do you see how Saul had spoken words over David? Words that were actually acknowledging that God was going to make David king. And yet nothing had really changed. It's interesting, Proverbs 16 verse 7 says, When people's lives please the Lord, their enemies are at peace with them. Isn't it amazing that even people who are against you, that if you keep your heart right and keep living right before God, God can actually make them be at peace with you. I think the old translation says, when a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. But you see, nothing had changed. And this all, this is the background to last week. Nothing had changed. And whenever Samuel died, we looked at this last week, when Samuel died, this was kind of yet another thing that had happened. And David was afraid. We saw that last week. He was afraid. And he took off. Remember the story? He took off down to the wilderness and uh, came in contact with this man called Nabal, whose name means a fool. And last week we saw that, that Nabal refused to pay David for the work that his men had done in being a security to his shepherds. And then when the time of shearing came, Whenever the shearing season came, it was a bit like us saying there was money in the bank. Money was coming in, and David realised this was the time to ask for the repayment. And last week we saw that when he sent his men to Nabal to ask for food, that Nabal rebuffed him and and actually spoke uh, very disparagingly against David. It's very interesting that uh, Nabal um, had such a bad attitude towards David and yet his wife Abigail uh, kept her composure and trust God, trusted God through all of this situation. You see, you can see actually from the story of Nabal, you can see that David wasn't really himself because it would almost seem that he was beginning to feel the weight of having to feed all of these men. Now remember he had 600 men with him at that time and possibly some of their wives and children. David may well have had up to a thousand people to feed. Now in the natural, as far as David was concerned, he was a man of faith and he trusted God. So he really wasn't himself because it seems as though David had perhaps begun to take on a false burden of having to feed these people. Did you ever take on a false burden? I really want to challenge you about this because so often we talk about trusting God and yet we worry ourselves sick and we take on a false burden of something that we can actually put into God's hands and trust him to sort out whatever difficulties we're in. And I would, I'm really wanting to challenge you in this because so often I find in my life that I find myself worrying about situations and then I'm sort of reminded that God says for me to cast all my anxieties on him. That we're to, we're to trust him in every situation. And he will sustain us. He will take care of things. You know, he will make a way where there seems to be no way. And we need to remind ourselves of this. Because it seems to me from reading this story and from from looking at David's heart that he was beginning to actually become just battle weary. And in the wilderness, when Nabal wouldn't pay him the money and things were difficult and he had all these mouths to feed, it seems that he was beginning to take on a burden of having to feed these people when all the time he could have trusted God. And I don't say that lightly because it was a big thing he had to do. I mean, it wasn't easy to be in the wilderness and to have to feed perhaps up to a thousand people. But you see, God, God was uh, the one that he could have trusted on and God was the one who ultimately 
was responsible. David wasn't responsible. Sometimes we take on things that we're not responsible for. You're not responsible for somebody else. You can release them to the Lord. We're going to see that Abigail, I believe as we read her story, she had released Nabal, her husband, to the Lord. She wasn't taking on responsibility. She had released him. And there's situations in your life and in mine, and we really do need to consciously say, Lord, I'm going to release this to you. I'm going to, I'm going to trust you in this. I am not going to allow a false burden to rob me of the joy of the Lord in my heart. And so I think that's a real word for us today. And this is what happened last week. And we saw last week how in the middle of all this furore, whenever Nabal was unwilling to give anything to David for, for his men's uh, labour, we saw that Abigail rose up, got on that donkey of hers, and she headed off, loaded and laden up with all of the food, and also with lots of her servants, girls coming on other donkeys, and they all came laden down with food, and they intercepted David. And we saw last week that Abigail asked for forgiveness on behalf of her husband, and we saw that she came with words that were words from God, and David recognised them as being words from the Lord. Now, <clears throat> last week I had put this Bible reference down, but I didn't get time to read it, but I'm going to read it now. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 11, here's what it says. The words of the wise are like goats, and the words of the wise are like well driven nails. You see, Abigail was coming with words from God. And you know what, ladies? We have the possibility, when we spend time with God and we hear God, and we see and, and, and understand what he's saying to us from his word, we can carry his word and we can speak that over each other's lives. And often, you can speak a word that would just be like a goat. You know, a goat is whenever a, a an animal like a cattle or a sheep is, is running the wrong direction and you kind of just give it a wee prod and it just gets it back into the past. You can actually speak words from God that will bless each other and help each other when we're about to go off in the deep end, just get us back into line again. I think that is so amazing and well-driven nails. You see, sometimes we need to know that God's word is like a nail. God says his word is like a hammer, but it's also like a nail. God can nail things. And we need to be aware that he will, his word is powerful. And the Bible says it doesn't return unto us void. When we speak his word, and, and Jerry had given a word uh, just earlier to me this morning, just how it's so important that we are a woman who prays God. And, and we love that. We love to praise God. But Psalm 149 verse 6 says, um, Let the praises of God be in your mouths as, as a sharp sword in their hands. You see, when we take God's word and we begin to speak God's word out, it becomes a sword. Yes. That's why we talk about the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And I believe it's great, and I, I love this, a sacrifice of praise. When we praise God when things aren't going so good, that's brilliant. But we need to know that God's word is strong and powerful and two-edged sword. And he wants us to take it and he wants us to use it in situations and speak it out over situations. If you're in a difficult place, ask God to give you a word. And when you read his word and you know that he's spoken to you, you begin to declare that over the situation. Begin to declare it over your life. Begin to use God's word as a sword. This is powerful, girls. This is absolutely powerful. And it's essential that we learn how to use the sword of the word of God. It's very, very powerful. It's a weapon that God wants us 
to become skilled at using. And we see not only that, but Proverbs 25 verse 15 says that a gentle tongue breaks a bone and soft speech can break bones. When you speak the word of God, the Holy Spirit is gentle. And, and the Holy Spirit comes like a dove and can give you a word from God, maybe in a very difficult situation. Do you know, it could actually, imagine a word is so strong it could break a bone. It's, a, it's amazing to see God's word. Let me read again, again about God's words. Proverbs 18, verses 20 to 21. Wise words satisfy like a good meal. The right words bring satisfaction. When we speak into somebody's life and we're speaking what God says, whether it's a verse or something that God has given you as a word of encouragement, it's like a good meal. And it says the right words will bring satisfaction. We can bless each other, ladies, as we speak God's word over each other. And then it goes on, of course, to say the tongue can bring death or life. Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. That means if we, if we speak negative words, then we'll reap the, con- the consequences of negativity in our lives. But if we speak powerful, God-given words over our lives, we will reap the consequences of blessing and of the power of God's word. So we see that, that uh, David had met with, with Abigail. She had spoken God's word into his life. And then, if you remember, they spoke blessing over each other and, and she went back, Abigail went back home. And when she got there, Her husband, Nabal, if you remember, we saw last week, he was very drunk. And wisely enough, she didn't go and try to talk to him. She had done what we said earlier. She had released him. And we see, uh, saw last week that she she left it until the next day. And the next day, when she told Nabal what had happened, we saw that God actually struck Nabal. And and in a few days, he died. And remember last week, we ended up saying that David sent this proposal of marriage and Abigail accepted I believe that Abigail had learned to trust the Lord. Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6, we all know these verses so well, but I'll tell you, we need to keep reminding ourselves of them. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. He was directing Abigail's path, and he was taking her out of her predicament, and he was putting her into position and that's what God wants to do he wants to turn our predicaments around and actually get us into position so we're going to continue with the story and we're going to see I put a heading in your notes here the story continues and gets even more complicated all right sometimes God doesn't just do things the way we expect sometimes it's a bit of a roundabout journey but he always brings us through so let's look at first Samuel 25 the very last couple of verses just to finish off last week's and it says at the end of first Samuel 25 it says um verse uh 43, David, this is after he had brought Abigail and had married Abigail, it says, David also married Ahinoam from Jezreel, making both of them his wives. Saul, meanwhile, had given his daughter Michael, David's first wife, to a man from Galim named Paltai, son of Laish. Now, here's the thing, before we get into the story, here's more complication. He already had a wife that he was separated from. The pain of all of that, of having to leave Michael. 
Now he's just married Abigail, and, and immediately on the heels of that, he just must have spotted a henna decided to have her as well. So he married the henna So now he's got three wives, and then to complicate it even more, Michael, the first one, Saul has just, despite, I don't know, there was no divorce that we read about here, but despite that, Saul had just passed her on to another husband. So can you see the mess? I'll tell you something, ladies, that God hates separation and divorce because separation and divorce causes pain. And God's heart was never that we would have multiple wives. God's, God's our husbands, God's heart was always one man and one woman to become one flesh. And you can read that in, um, you can read it in Matthew 19. I'll just read a couple of bits out of it. I just think it's really important to mention this. We all know it, but it says God made them male and female, verse 4. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united as one. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Then further down, Jesus said, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts, but it was not what God had originally intended. Do you know why? Because God originally intended for us to know him and to walk with one partner, one, one husband or wife. That was his plan because God knows ultimately what brings joy and satisfaction to a human being. And when we get into divorce and satisfaction, it causes confusion, it causes a mess, and it causes pain. Would you agree with me? Now, I can say that because I have gone through separation and divorce. So I know, I know the pain that it costs. But I want to tell you that if you're in the middle of something like that, that my God is the God who is your God, and he's the God who will take you out of that, and he will do what only he can do. He can work all things together for good to those who love the Lord. And so it, when we get into a messy situation, it doesn't mean that God's going to throw up his hands and leave us. It means he's going to start moving and working and bringing things together to bring us through it and actually turn it around for good, to do something good out of it. And that's what I want to testify next week about, how God worked in my life and what I went through. And as we see this, we're going to see that David was still on this kind of complicated mess that was getting stronger and stronger. And we'll see that at this particular point in his life, we will see that David was now going to uh, even come into something more painful. David, at this point, are you still with me in all this big journey? All this, just all this runs about, hither to thither. And, and now he, he's just got married, he's married this other wife. And the next thing we see, if we're going to start now and look in verse, uh, chapter 26, 1 Samuel 26, we're going to look in this chapter how David now was back to the, the places we talked about earlier, Hakila and, uh, what was that? Hakila and the other place was called Jessamon. What did we call these? What was the meaning of these names? Dark, waste, and desolation. So he's come back, he's left Nabal's country, he's come out of the wilderness. No doubt, no doubt, Abigail continued to speak wise words, and no doubt she would have been a blessing to him. She was a good woman, she loved the Lord. The Lord was working things together for Abigail's good. He had brought her into a safe place with David. And if for whatever reason, David decided to bring Abigail and Ahinoam and all the rest of his household, getting bigger and bigger, he's going to bring them all back to where he was before, up in the, in the, in the wilderness of Judea, 
not far from Jerusalem, and he's going to set up home again, and it's going to be back in the same place where he had experienced darkness and desolation. And he's back in the same place, and this is just where Saul then comes back to attack him again. Let's just read the first few verses. It says, verse 1, Now some men from Ziph, remember the Ziphites we talked about before, they came to Saul to tell him David is hiding on the hill of Aquila, which overlooks Jezimon. So Saul took 300 of Israel's elite troops and went to hunt him down in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul camped along the road beside the hill of Aquila near Jezimon, where David was hiding. And when David learned that Saul had come after him in the wilderness, he sent out spies to verify the report of Saul's arrival. David slipped over to Saul's camp one night to look around and saw that Saul and Abner, the commander of his troops, were sleeping inside a ring formed by the slumber warriors, the slumbering warriors. Who will volunteer to go with me, to go in there with me, David asked. Ahimelech the Hittite and Abishai son of Jeriah Zoab's brother said I'll go with you so Abishai replied so Abishai went with him and they went right into Saul's camp and found him asleep with his spear stuck in the ground beside his head and Abner and the soldiers were sleeping beside David Abishai said God has surely handed your enemies over to you at this time let me pin him to the ground, said Abishai, with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike twice. No, David said, don't kill him, for who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed? Surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday, or he will die if old age are in battle. In other words, he was prepared to wait God's timing. The Lord forbid, said David, that I should kill the one that he has anointed. But take the spear and that jug of water beside his head, and then let's get out of here. So David took the spear and the jug of water that was near Saul's head and then he and Abishai got away without anyone seeing them or even waking up because the Lord, listen to this, because the Lord had put Saul's men into a deep sleep. <laughs> David climbed the hill opposite the camp until he was at a safe distance. Then he shouted down to the soldiers and to Abner, the captain of the, of the troops, Wake up, Abner! Who is it? Abner replied. Well, Abner, you're a great man, aren't you, David taunted? Where in all Israel is there anyone as mighty as you? So why haven't you guarded your master, the king, when someone came to kill him? This isn't good at all, said David. I swear by the Lord that you and your men deserve to die because you failed to protect your master, the king, the Lord's anointed. Look around. Where are the king's spear and the jug of water that was beside his head? Saul recognized David's voice and he called out, Is that you, my son, David? Just putting a wee bit of a fact on there. <laughs> and David replied, Yes, my lord, the king. Why are you chasing me? What have I done? What is my crime? But now let my lord, the king, listen to his servant. If the lord has stirred you up against me, then let him accept my offering. But if this is simply a human scheme, then may there be involved... May, there, may those be involved be cursed by the Lord, for they have driven me from my home, so I can no longer live amongst the Lord's people. Look a bit further down. David said, verse 29, Must I die on foreign soil, far from the presence of the Lord? Why has the king of Israel come out to search for, for a single flea? Why does he hunt me down like a partridge on the mountains? I want you to notice those words. Why, he said to, David said to Saul, why are you hunting me like a partridge or like a flea? Back in the previous time that David had saved Saul's life, he said to Saul, am I like a, a, a dog or a flea? 
Do you begin to see the way David was beginning to see himself? That he was beginning to see himself as being hunted and being like a, a flea or a dog or a partridge. Then Saul confessed, I have sinned. Come back home, my son, and I will no longer try to harm you, for you have valued my life today. And here's what Saul says, I have been a fool and very, very wrong. One of the older translations says, I have played the fool and erred exceedingly. Here is your spear, O king, David replied. Let one of your young men come over and get it. Then further down, Saul said to David, Blessings on you, my son David. You will do many heroic deeds and you will surely succeed. Then David went away and Saul returned. Now, I wanted just to kind of go through this and I believe that God has a word for us today about how the enemy operates and how he tries to bring us into wrong thinking. I really want to talk about wrong thinking because David had found Saul. He had gone up to see where Saul was. He was actually facing the problem head on. He was going up to check out to see, well, is is Saul really here? Do you know, it's a good thing for us to face our problems head on. I know so many people who keep stuff in their own head. They don't bring it into the light. They don't actually deal with it. They don't talk to anybody about it. It's a good thing to go and bring it into the light and face a problem head on. And that's exactly what David did. He went right up. And when he got there, what did he find? He found that God had already dealt with the problem. God had put them all into a deep sleep. Do you know if you're in a situation where you're, you're finding yourself in a difficult, a tight spot, listen, if you face it head on and trust God, he can make your enemies, he can knock them out for the count. And so David arrived and there was no problem. They're all sleeping. God had put them into a deep slumber and David had yet another opportunity to prove to Saul that he, he didn't mean him any harm. David was, was facing another test from God. And the test was, would he act prematurely? Would he come and would he, you know, kill Saul or harm him? Would he, would he take matters into his own hands prematurely? And that's the problem with you and me. Sometimes we act prematurely. We take things into our hands. We speak wrong words into situations. We, we speak out of our flesh. We say things that are not what God would want us to say. And we do things that God wouldn't want us to do. We act prematurely. And, and God will test us to see if we're really going to trust him in situations. Remember, even Jesus himself went through temptation. The enemy wanted Jesus to, to, to bow down to him. He wanted him to prematurely uh, act but, but Jesus defeated. Do you remember he kept saying to the devil in Luke chapter 4, it is written, he used the word of God as a sword against the enemy. The, uh, Satan wanted Jesus to act prematurely, but de- Jesus was determined to wait for his father's timing. And God has a time for everything. And we need to learn and be sure that we're actually moving in God's time and not ours. We don't want to run ahead of the Lord. We don't want to, we don't want to stay, hold back and, and miss it either whenever God does want us to move. But there's a time to move and there's a time to be still. And, and David passed this test because he refused to harm the Lord's anointed. Did you hear that when I read the story? He refused to harm Saul. And so even though uh, David was in this dark, difficult, desolated place, He proved God that God was able to care for him. And I think we need to remember that greater is he who is in us than he that's in the world. 
1 John 4 and 4. We need to remember that. Now, David passed this test and did you notice that when he called down and woke all of these men up uh, and charged Abner with not looking after Saul, did you notice that wee voice of Saul? Is that you, David, my son? You see, this is a man who had actually got out of contact with God. He was going all, he was, Saul was completely operating out of his own flesh. He was full of bitterness, hatred, jealousy, all of those negative emotions. Saul was full of it all. And here he is, and it's almost like he was shamed into realizing that, yeah, David could have killed him. He's out to kill David, but David had done the opposite. See, there's something about acting in the opposite spirit that breaks someone. When David didn't harm him, refused to harm Saul, he was acting in the opposite spirit. And it broke Saul. Saul started to weep. And I'll tell you, if you're finding that someone is causing you problems and they're speaking against you or hurting you, you need to operate in the opposite spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to show you what that is. How to react in the opposite spirit because it can break a situation. And so Saul was broken here and he, was, he actually spoke more words. Did you notice that the first time that David didn't kill him, back in chapter 24, that, that Saul had actually said, David, I know you're going to be king. And now he, Saul's actually speaking out again and he's saying, David, I know you're going to succeed. I know you're going to prevail. He was speaking, God was giving words, true words to Saul and he was actually speaking them over David. Now the thing was that David asked these questions. He said, it is my voice, my Lord, O King. Then David challenged Saul as to why he was persecuting him like a flea or a partridge in the mountains. Now, David had used words like this before. We saw that in 1 Samuel 24. David had said to Saul, Whom do you pursue, a dead dog or a flea? So he'd used this kind of language before. And here's what I have written in your notes. I'm going to read it to you in the notes. Had David begun to think negative thoughts about himself? One of the characteristics of a partridge is that it runs rather than flies from its enemies. And when a partridge is fatigued, it can be caught easily with sticks or a net. Was David allowing this picture or the picture of being as helpless as a dead dog or a flea? Was he actually seeing himself and thinking of himself in these, in these ways? Was this the kind of thinking patterns that he had begun to take into his thinking? Proverbs 23 verse 7 says, As a man thinks, so is he. And I want to challenge myself as well as you today. What's your thinking like? What's your thinking pattern at the moment? Is it full of God's truth? Is it full of what God says over your life? In the prayer room this morning we were saying that God loves us. Jerry read from John 17 about how it says that the Father loves us dearly because we love the Son and he loves us and we belong to Father, Son and Holy Spirit. The Father loves you dearly. You need to know that. You need to have a revelation of that today, of God's love for you. It's easy for us to talk about God's love for somebody else, but we need to actually have a revelation. And I pray that even right now in this moment that you might have a revelation by the Holy Spirit that God loves you with an everlasting love, that he loves you dearly, that he sings over you with love. There's something about knowing that God loves us, that is so beautiful. And David seems was thinking 
differently. If you read in Psalm 13, and we, uh, Dan, I think it was Beth referred to this, uh, and David wrote this in, in, in Psalm 13, O Lord, how long will you forget me? Forever. How long will you look the other way? Was he beginning to think, Lord, you've promised me I'm going to be king, but I'm running about in the wilderness and everything's going wrong and nothing's going right. And here's Saul, and I know right well he doesn't mean this. I know he's still going to pursue me. And, and all of these thoughts were beginning to gain in his mind. He began to see himself as being helpless, beginning to see himself like a dead dog, as helpless as a flea. He began to see himself like a partridge that, that people, because he was running so much and he was so tired that people could just get sticks and, and kill him. He's beginning to take on self-pity. He's beginning to stop to trust God. And you see, we know that David did trust God, but he struggled. He was on to say in Psalm 13, How long must I struggle with anguish in my soul, with sorrow in my heart every day? How long will my enemy have the upper hand? These were the thoughts that were possibly go, probably going through his mind at this particular time. David was in a place where his thinking was beginning to go down the chute a little bit. And even though Saul spoke those words and said that he had played the fool, even though Saul acknowledged that David was going to succeed, it seems that David was really beginning to take on these wrong thoughts. How do I know that? Because the next chapter, which we will look at next week, the next chapter tells us, chapter 27, verse 1, but David kept thinking to himself, someday Saul is going to get me. We're going to look at that, not next week because I'm giving my story next week, but the following week we are going to look at that and we're going to see that how you think is so important. Because when you, when you think God's word and you speak out God's word, something happens when your thought patterns are aligned with God and what he says. And when you speak out what God says in his word, something happens in the way that you feel, even in your emotions, something happens. You begin to know that peace you begin to speak it out with confidence. And as you speak it out, your words have power. And as you speak out words that, that are God's words over your life and over your situation, something happens that aligns you up with heaven. And something happens that changes how you feel. I've just written in your notes here, life had got very complicated for David. And though God was making a path for him, David had no way of knowing that this would be the last time he would ever see Saul alive. David was battle-weary, and sadly he had begun to listen to the lies of the enemy and was about to go into a bout of deep discouragement that would ultimately lead him away from God's plan for his life. Are you facing complicated problems in your life, and whose voice are you listening to? If you're beginning to feel discouraged, why not listen to the wise words of Psalm 43, verse 5 from the New Living Translation. Why not speak these words over your situation? I'm going to read them to you. Why not speak this over yourself? Ask your soul. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Why are you cast down, O my soul? Talk to yourself. And why are you disquieted within me? If you're feeling unsettled and disquieted, why not speak these words? Hope in God. For, speak it out, I shall yet praise him. For God is the help of my countenance. In other words, my face is going to light up because God is my help and he is the one who is my God. He is the help of my countenance and my God. I believe today that God wants us to know that he is with us 
that he sees everything that's going on in your life. All the difficulties, all the problems, all the internal disquiet, all the stuff that you're worried about, all those people that are involved in your life, God sees all of it. And he hears and he knows everything about you. And he wants you to know that he is with you, that he is for you. God wants you to know that even though the enemy follows you, that he is for you and he is with you. And God wants you to know that he can, he can bring you through whatever you're going through. Proverbs 15 verse 3 says, The Lord is watching everywhere, keeping his eye on both the evil and the good. What does that mean? It means that God doesn't only see the good and see what he's planning for you, but he sees the evil, he sees what the enemy's planning against you. <laughs> God has it all in hand. David was about to slip into discouragement, and I'm wondering today if you're at that point where you could very easily just topple into discouragement. I want you to leave today feeling discouraged that God is for you and who can be against you. I believe that God wants you to know that he is with you today. And I want to ask two questions before we separate. I'm going to give you a few moments to think about this. What is God saying to you today? Has he spoken to you through his word today? And if so, what is he saying to you today? And secondly, what are you going to do about it? Those are two good questions. We, we really want the woman of Egal's to begin to move. We've talked about these peacocks and how they fly with all the beauty and the wonder of creation and how they display God's glory. We've always said this is called egals because, because we are the egals that rise up. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up with wings as egals or peacocks. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. I believe God wants you to know that you're a magnificent bird. I believe he wants you to know that he loves you passionately. That he wants to work out those difficult things that, that bring disquiet to you. That he wants to work them out in your life. But right now, I believe the Holy Spirit has been speaking today. We've been praying for that. And I just want to ask you these two questions. We're going to give you a few moments before we sing our last song. The questions are, what is God saying to you today? And what are you going to do about it? I just pray that as you, as you answer these questions to the Lord, that you might um, even spend some time when you go home and maybe write down what you feel God has been saying to you and, and maybe even write down what you feel he's, he's telling you you should do as, uh, in response to what he's speaking. And as we sing this song by faith, we see the hand of God. We're going to sing it with faith and hope. And we believe today that God has touched your hearts. And we're believing that in the days to come, we're going to see that. And uh, we're, we're uh, quite a few of us up at the front here who are willing to pray for anyone who wants to come for prayer afterwards. Please come. But know that God is with you. Know that he's here, that he sees you, that he hears you. And know that he wants to, to speak his love and his word into your heart today to make a difference that you would rise up and that you would get victory in your life.
We're going to sing this song. Let's just stand and sing it. By faith we see the hand of God. By faith this mountain shall be moved. I want to ask you, have you got a mountain in your life today? Because by faith God wants to remove that mountain. And the power of the gospel shall prevail. God wants us to prevail as women who might be going through hard times, whether good times or bad times, he wants us to be women who will prevail. For we know that in Christ, do we really know it, that all things are possible for all who call upon his name. Ladies, may God really bless you. May his word penetrate deep and remain in your heart this week. When you go home, I'd love you to read through these chapters and get a hold again of the whole build-up as to what was happening in David's life. And I would love this week that you could really prayerfully pray for maybe someone who doesn't know Jesus as their saviour. Maybe somebody who, who maybe is in a difficult, painful place right now. I would love that you could prayerfully think of someone and encourage them to come and bring them next week with you. That we could actually see something that God really would break in on us next week. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could share this with more women? I'm going to tell my story. Pray for me this week. I really wanted to really glorify God and I really pray and believe that God wants to break out in our lives and do more than we'd even imagine or think. God is a God who, who is the God of the impossible, the one who can do exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything that we, we would even ask or think. In Jesus' name, bless you. We're here if anyone needs prayer. Amen.